0: Hi everybody, Cheryl Atkison here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast. Today, why the Johnny Depp verdict isn't just a celebrity scandal. It has implications that are a lot more important and far reaching beyond Hollywood. I didn't cover the Johnny Depp trial, the defamation trial against Amber Heard, but I watched pretty much all of it when I Missed a little bit of it, I went back and watched the replays. I became hooked after watching the initial testimony by Johnny Depp, where he went into some detail about his very troubled childhood. It was interesting to me because the description of his mother is pretty much the description of my father. That's just sort of a personal aside. But I knew that I had to watch for myself when I was watching a network that cut away from Johnny Depp's testimony And we heard from a legal analyst who declared something like, nobody can relate to the story that Johnny Depp is telling. And here I was absolutely relating to the story that Johnny Depp had just told. So at that point, I knew like many other news events, I would have to watch for myself firsthand to draw my own conclusions rather than rely on what analysts and reporters were trying to tell me. And as the trial went on, it became pretty clear to me, that quite a few people in the media writing about and reporting on the trial weren't actually watching it, at least not watching the whole thing. They were watching perhaps summaries or clips or reading other people's summaries of what happened. And that's where sometimes the tale or the mistakes or the misinterpretations, or just a different interpretation, that's where it kind of grows taller on down the line. We see so much of that today in the news. I've often enjoyed watching the entire legal proceedings of a case. I remember years ago when I worked in Columbus, Ohio at WBNS, the CBS affiliate. One of my first assignments was a murder trial of a young woman accused of a murder. And unlike today with a lot of the news where they don't allow the reporter time to sit and actually watch the whole trial because there's too much news to be told, my station permitted me to sit in a room watching a piped-in feed, because uh, there were too many people to fit in the courtroom in this high-profile case, I was allowed to watch it every day and not have to miss some of it because I was so busy trying to report on it. I mean, that's the catch-22 that many of us find ourselves in today when we're reporting. We're hardly able to gather the news because we're so busy filling the demand to report it with, you know, 24-hour news and Cable channels and online channels. A friend of mine who works at another network recently complained about that very thing to me. He said, I'm so busy doing live shots on a story that I don't really know the story. I'm trying to figure out what's going on by reading other people's summaries. Anyhow, beyond the fact that it can be so interesting and instructive to watch a whole trial rather than to listen to the summaries often given by people who are trying to spin a particular narrative, or even sometimes given by people who didn't watch the trial themselves. Beyond that, as I watched this trial, it became clear to me that something bigger was going on, something beyond the idea of, oh, this is a celebrity trial with a lot of dirt, a lot of scandal, a lot of gossip. I started to feel like there were implications far beyond Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and even Hollywood. Now, let me back up for just a minute. Let's talk about defamation law and what it takes to prove a case. Any lawyer who specializes in this kind of law, if they're asked about, can I win a case, and I've done this numerous times because I've been defamed quite a bit, including not too long ago by the New York Times, which did issue corrections to the piece, but It turns out it's nearly impossible for a public figure to actually win a case in court. So you ask any lawyer specializing this sort of law, and they'll usually tell you something like this. You, or me, as a public figure, have a much higher bar to prove the case than someone who's not considered a public figure. So this is where the Johnny Depp case comes in. Because he's a public figure, he not only had to prove that the statements made against him were lies... That's part one. You'd think that would be the only thing, but no. Public figures also have to prove that the one who made the statement did so with malice or reckless disregard for the truth. And meeting that second bar is tricky. It requires you to get inside the mind of the person who made the statement or the claim or the allegation and somehow prove that they did so with evil intent or that they were so reckless with their lie or the false information that it qualifies as something exceptional. And there's very often no proof of that. People don't write or text or confess to somebody else that they've done something just to be mean or that they've published or printed something false because they hate somebody and wanted to hurt them. It's just not that easy to prove. And I'm not arguing really with this concept because the U.S. Constitution rightly affords a great deal of latitude for Americans to freely speak their mind. But a lawyer consulted on this type of defamation case will also usually tell you that the search for justice in court, even if you have what you think is an airtight case, the search for justice will likely take years and cost you millions of dollars. And you may say, as I sometimes have, well, that's okay because I'm pretty sure I'm going to win. Well, first of all, then the lawyer will tell you, you can win the case and the jury might award you a dollar in damages because it's another high bar to prove that you were hurt specifically by those statements in a way that damaged you financially. Again with Johnny Depp, he was up against having to prove that not only the general chatter around the accusations that he was a domestic violent abuser, that not just the general chatter hurt him, and his career and cost him money. He had to prove that the specific false op-ed that his ex-wife Amber Heard published in the Washington Post, that that specifically robbed him of specific income. It's very hard to do. So let's say you do win and the jury does award you some damages. It may not even be enough to make a dent in the attorney's fees. And you may say, well, if I win, won't the other side pay my attorney's fees? Turns out that's not so simple either. The answer I've been told is probably not. And then finally, the lawyer will tell you that no matter how good of a case you present, you still might end up losing. I mean, you just can't predict what a given jury or juror or judge might do. And so you go through all that years, millions of dollars, you still might end up losing, owing millions in legal fees and possibly even be liable for the other side's attorney's fees, which will also be in the millions of dollars. So most of the time, I suspect, attorneys tell public figures who are making inquiries about defamation that they're better off walking away. Not many people, even famous people, have the time and money to do what they think is right if they know somebody has told lies about them. Well, the fact that mega-celebrity Johnny Depp One, his case against his ex-wife, actress Amber Heard, is remarkable in many senses. First, Depp managed to meet that extremely high bar for proof. Second, Depp was fighting one of the most powerful narratives of our time and a media establishment that largely sided against him early and often. Third, Depp unwittingly turned the table on the Me Too narrative. He's a man and not just any man, but a powerful, famous man who claimed abuse by a woman, and the jury bought his side of the story. Depp was not only victorious, he won on all three specific statements that he challenged. This is only possible if the jury were convinced that the woman in the dispute Amber Heard was not to be believed. So that's why I think the Depp verdict marks a seminal moment in the weaponization of the Me Too movement. I saw that some tweeted out the news of Depp's win using the modified hashtag slash men too instead of me too. I mean, most people already knew that the suggestion that's kind of been going around that all women are to be believed at their first utterance of a me too accusation. Well, that's as ludicrous as claiming that women never lie and men never tell the truth. But in today's propagandized internet and media environment, Well, it's made it where even common-sense responses to ludicrous claims have made people targets for bullying and attacks and cancellation and harassment, so they just keep their mouths shut. But an eventual backlash was inevitable. First came the obvious inconsistencies. I mean, it turned out that some women were not believed by the very advocates who had claimed that women were to be believed, because in reality it apparently depends on which side the woman is on. Likewise, we saw times where facts ultimately proved that some women who were believed popularly in the media and important cases, well, they turned out to be blatantly lying. Second, the Me Too cause, which is in of itself a worthy one, became weaponized, exploited by dishonest players who know that the mere taint of an accusation is enough to destroy a political or personal enemy in Hollywood or in the office workplace outside of Hollywood. And yet, even now, many in the media miss the point that was punctuated by the Depp verdict. They remain blinded by their zeal to twist the case to fit their narrative, rather than admit that women are not always to be believed. Some of them don't tell the truth, and they, the media, got behind the wrong horse. For example, I saw a headline in the propaganda blog Slate, which actually dubs the Depp trial as being rigged. The article, like many in the media, wrongly assumes that all of the support for Depp's side of the story had nothing to do with evidence. It was written by a woman, by the way, named Nicole Lewis, who, if you read the article, and I encourage you to do that, who apparently feels a great deal of self-shame for having idolized Depp in her youth. You can find that on Slate, the article by Nicole Lewis. She wrote, quote, We have been told again and again to disbelieve women and revere men. Quite the opposite. Where have these people been the past decade? Ironically, even post-verdict, I noticed that the Slate article still contains a defamatory statement. It accepts, as if true, an assertion the jury rejected as false and defamatory. The slate article says, quote, while a jury deliberates on whether Heard slandered the actor when she wrote about her experience of domestic violence in an op-ed for the Washington Post. See, the problem is the slate article is taking at face value as if true that Heard had an experience of domestic violence. The jury found that she did not experience domestic violence at the hands of Depp. Even worse, I noticed the last time I looked that the Washington Post didn't take down its defamatory headline of the op-ed, even after the jury verdict, even after they put a modified note at the top of the article. They left the defamatory headline, the one that shows up in searches, nice and big and bold. They left that up, uncorrected, for all to see. I'm kind of surprised about that because with my experience in working with lawyers to make sure that I steer very clear of defamation risks, I don't think they would ever encourage me or even allow me or the company that I work for to leave up a defamatory headline after it had been declared by a jury to be defamatory. I think that just speaks to some in the media refusing to acknowledge when they're wrong, staying so stuck in their narratives rather than being news reporters. Popular media analyses after the trial simply refused to accept the possibility that Depp was the one telling the truth—at least, that's the way the jury saw it—or that he had more evidence—better evidence, a better case—that things were not as Heard and the media had portrayed them. I think it's important to note that Depp didn't file the suit for the purpose of becoming the world's most famous male victim of domestic abuse. He was defending himself against Heard's defamatory claims of abuse in an attempt to recover some of his reputation and marketability in a Hollywood stung by sex scandals and MeToo accusations. If Amber Heard had not written that original op-ed in the Washington Post, one that, by the way, we learned at trial was drafted by the American Civil Liberties Union and its release apparently timed to promote Heard's upcoming movie, if she hadn't written that op-ed, we likely wouldn't know today about the allegations made in court had heard through objects at Depp, hitting him and cutting his face, gave him a shiner on their honeymoon, put out a cigarette on his face, threw a bottle and cut off the end of his finger and, by her own admission and audio tapes, kicked him in the face when he knelt to check on her foot one time and repeatedly hit him. It became clear to me, at least throughout the trial, that he had much stronger evidence and a much stronger case. Yes, nobody was in the room when some of these things happened. But Johnny Depp's the only one that had audio recordings of Amber Heard admitting hitting him more than once. She didn't have anything like that. She had claims, he had claims, but he had proof from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And I'm hoping to write up a detailed analysis because I think it's so interesting of why Johnny Depp won specifically citing evidence and witnesses, because so much of what I've read in the media seems to be off target again, maybe written by people that didn't actually watch the trial. So I think it's worth addressing, and I hope to do that in the near future. But after a short break, I'll explain why I think this is even a bigger and more impactful case than I've spoken of or than others have given it credit for. In today's increasingly managed information landscape, independent journalism has never been more important. Support factual reporting without the censorship by visiting CherylAckeson.com and click the Store tab. Proceeds from sales go to causes related to independent reporting, including the new ION awards I'm sponsoring to encourage accurate, off-narrative, original reporting. Also, check out my bestsellers on this topic, Stonewalled, Slanted, and The Smear. And thanks for being part of the solution. In case you didn't keep up at all on the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case, and I don't blame you if you didn't. A lot of people weren't interested in what they saw as celebrity gossip. Let me read you a little bit of a summary before I move on with my analysis. This is from NBC News. Depp and Heard's relationship began more than a decade ago, And eventually devolved into what appears to have been a toxic marriage. Yes, this is me talking as an aside. That was clear in the trial. Back to the article, the couple split in 2016. They battled in court over an op-ed that Heard wrote for the Washington Post in 2018. This is me talking again. That's the one that I said we now know the ACLU drafted for her and got her to sign and publish. And As an aside to the aside, I've written about this in my books, how op-eds are seldom initiated and written by the people who sign them. they are often people who are paid to sign it on behalf of some sort of special interest that's trying to pull strings and advance narratives behind the scenes. And the publications that publish these op-eds don't disclose that. I don't know if they even care. But I think it matters if, let's say, a lobbyist for Russia President Putin got a Putin op-ed published in the New York Times, which was the case some years ago, rather than that that person really came directly to the New York Times without some special interest behind them. But back to the Depp trial, in the Washington Post in 2018, Heard described that she had survived domestic violence. In fact, the headline said sexual violence. Although she didn't mention Depp by name, Many people in the jury in the end thought it was clear by implication. Depp sued for $50 million in damages. The jury found unanimously that Heard could not substantiate her allegations against Depp and that she knew her claims of abuse were false when she published the op-ed. The jury also determined that Heard acted with actual malice. Remember part two of what you have to prove if you're a public figure who's been defamed. The jury awarded Depp $10 million in compensatory damages and $5 million in punitive damages in the defamation suit. As an aside, the judge immediately reduced the $5 million in punitive damages to somewhere in the neighborhood of $350,000 because those are capped under Virginia state law. Heard countersued for $100 million, says NBC and claimed she was only ever violent with Depp in self-defense. She claimed defamation and a countersuit on three statements, but none of them made by Depp, all of them made by Depp's former attorney who spoke to a publication called the Daily Mail in 2020 calling the allegations of abuse a hoax. The jury found that Waldman defamed Amber Heard, this is Depp's lawyer, on one count... And if I do an analysis later on that, there's some interesting points to make about that. The jury awarded her $2 million in compensatory damages because even though Depp didn't make the statements, the jury determined that the attorney was Depp's agent or acting on his behalf, so Depp's responsible. But then the jury denied her any punitive damages, $0 in punitive, meaning they didn't add on top of compensation, any sort of punishment against Depp, sort of a telling verdict there as well. So a huge win for Johnny Depp. And now I think it's worth taking one step further back in this analysis, because I think the Depp case is not only a turning point in a narrative that was weaponized and taken too far. It's also a backlash against a steady diet of narratives, one-sided news reporting, propaganda being forced down our throats on a minute-by-minute basis? A majority of the American public should not dictate over the minority. That's what America's all about, not doing that. But neither should a fringe minority dictate over the majority. And we've been under the tyranny of a vocal minority that too often proves guilty of the very behavior they claim to abhor. Bullying, disinformation. Well, the debt jury weighed the evidence, and rejected what they, what we were all, told we had to believe. So the Depp victory is not only a landmark case in the legal realm of defamation. More importantly, it can be seen as a turning point in well-funded and controlled efforts to manipulate public opinion and silence those who are off the narrative. In that way, we should all be interested in the Johnny Depp verdict. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and if so, that you'll leave a great review, subscribe to it, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and now you can support independent journalism causes by visiting com and clicking the store tab. I have some new products for summer that really make a statement for independent thinkers and free thinkers. I know you're going to love them, and proceeds always benefit independent reporting causes. Again, CherylAckeson.com. Click the store tab. Do your own research. Make up your own mind. Think for yourself.